John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. As some of you know, I really enjoy collecting those sayings that wind up on gravestones. Now, don't ask me why I like to do that, but it's, it's just something I enjoy, and I, and I especially like the funny ones. Uh, so I found a new set of those this, this week, and I want to share them with you. Here rests John. He was a good husband, a wonderful father, but a bad electrician. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, a memory from all your sons, except Ricardo, who did not pay any money. Right. Yeah. Rest in peace, now you are in the Lord's arms. Lord, watch your wallet. Right. This is, these are actual ones. I'm not. And then the last one. Here is resting my dearest wife, Betty. Lord, please welcome her with the same joy I send her to you. Just kind of gets you right here, doesn't it? Oh, so touching. So touching. Kind of tearing up, I know. So we come to this uh, Sunday after Easter full of joy, I hope, and anticipation. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and now we are officially on the other side of the cross. What do I mean by that? Well, to answer that question, let's use this wonderful vision and text from the book of Revelation to help us. You see, I actually like the book of Revelation. It's a book that when understood properly, as we at Boston United Methodists say, when someone who's graduated from a United Methodist seminary, as I was at Duke Divinity School, when those factors are in place, then we feel that you are hearing the proper and understandable teaching. Because there are so many who feel that the book of Revelation has a secret code that when understood unveils all kinds of information about future events right up to some final cataclysmic event called Armageddon. Well, that's for Hollywood. I mean, that makes great television and makes many uh, Bible prophecy ministers a whole lot of money. And I feel it's really an abuse of the text to teach it that way. I really do. The book of Revelation uses apocalyptic literature to get its point across. Apocalyptic literature was used during times of extreme persecution to communicate. 
It uses vivid imagery, numbers, colors to show how awful evil is and how wonderful God and goodness are. So if there is a code, it's this. You have to understand apocalyptic literature to read the book. If you open it and just start reading it, you're going to be confused and come up with all sorts of strange ideas like Bible prophecy and the rapture, strange ideas from the authors of books like Left Behind and, Great Plan and the late great planet Earth. Sorry, bad biblical scholarship. And so what is the main point of the book of Revelation? Well, the writer who calls himself John of Patmos, probably not the gospel writer John, he expresses very well in these opening verses, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, talking about Jesus here, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Kind of sounds like an opening or, a, or an introduction or a benediction too. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's hinting here at what is to take place even throughout the rest of the book, the rest of his vision. He's opening the door and letting us see what the message really is. But with good biblical scholarship, we've got to look at the history. What's going on here? Why was this author writing this text? He wrote it to those who were in persecution under the emperor Domitian. Domitian exalted himself to the status of Lord and God. Well, that really wasn't that unusual about Roman emperors, really, but he insisted on being accorded divine honors, which he asked his people to worship him. And this was viewed as blasphemous by Christians in this area. The command to worship was seen as the most dangerous form of idolatry. So many Christians in Asia Minor were being persecuted for their faith, even to death. And it was to that situation that the author of Revelation wrote. So what is the basic message of this book? It's this. Keep the faith. Don't make friends with the evil ones, that is, those in Rome. Remember who is in charge, not the emperor, but Christ. The ultimate victory is God's. Jesus Christ has already won the battle. In spite of evil, God reigns supreme over all. Victory has been won through God's work in Christ. So this is a hopeful book, not a scary one, not a map of the end of the world. So doggone it, that's not going to get me on the news tonight. And many of you out there may be turning off your television sets right now because that's not what folks usually want to hear. They want the blood and guts. They want earthquakes and secret messages that the church somehow is keeping from you because somehow that makes a great story. But it also perpetuates misunderstanding and confusion. And I think we've got enough of that around today. So let's move on. 
If the main message of the book of Revelation is that God has already won the battle through his work in Jesus, and for us to keep the faith, to hang in there and keep the faith, then we, who have just celebrated Easter, can no longer live as we have lived in judgment, in fear, in bondage, in shame and guilt. We now live on the other side of the cross. We don't have to live that old way anymore, even though the world keeps pulling us back in very subtly and in insidious ways, as if trying to feed us a false message. The terrorists say, you still have to be afraid. And many groups say, we can't all get along in this world. We have to fight for supremacy. And other groups say, you have to remember the past and remain in the past and feel guilty about what your forefathers and foremothers did to us. I think that's different from those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. We are different now. We are resurrection people now. One of my favorite authors is Marcus Borg. Have you read any of his books? He has some classics out there now. Uh, Marcus Borg was a re renowned biblical scholar, lecturer, and author. His first book, Reading the Bible Again for the First Time, led to the second one, kind of similar name, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. The publishers didn't have much cre creativity, I guess, but uh, with that second title. But those are classics, I think. He is now retired, but for years he held the chair of religion and culture at Oregon State University. And he says in a special study put together by the church that to affirm that Jesus is the Word of God incarnate means that the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is to be read with Jesus as the decisive lens through which to see it. Now, I think that's an important statement, so I'm going to say it again. He says that to affirm that Jesus is the Word of God incarnate means that the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is to be read with Jesus as the decisive lens through which to see it. He, Jesus, is the essential revelation for Christians, not a book. In other words, the Bible is not the ultimate word of God, nor the ultimate moral authority. Jesus is and the Bible is second in importance to him. Christianity has long affirmed from its very beginnings that Jesus is the Word of God, become flesh, incarnate, in a human life. This is traditional Christianity. So, says Marcus Borg, Jesus trumps the Bible. That's what he says. Jesus trumps the Bible. So if you have issues that are difficult and the Bible is unclear as to a clear answer, then use the lens of Jesus and his ministry to find better focus. When in doubt, look to Jesus first and reframe your position with his lens up to your eyes. 
So what does it mean to live on the other side of the cross? Well, we use the lens of Jesus to figure out tough issues. We live with compassion as our lead strength. Do you know the name Marion Preminger? You may recognize that last name, Preminger. Let me tell you a story. Marion Preminger was born in Hungary back in 1913. She was raised in a castle with her aristocratic family, and she was surrounded by maids and tutors and butlers and chauffeurs. But deep inside of her, there was something that all of that affluence could not touch. She lived, in my perspective, on the fearful, judgmental side of the cross. When she was 18 years old, she met a handsome young doctor from Vienna. And hoping to find something that she didn't have, she ran off and eloped and married him. But a year later, she was divorced and quite depressed. Then she met a famous German director, Otto Preminger. And she felt that he would be the answer for her. Uh, and prayer, she, she gave to him prayers that in him she would find what was missing in her life. And so they married, but in time that marriage fell apart as well. So Marion returned to Europe to live the life of a socialite in Paris. But deep inside, she was beginning to question her values and her whole pattern of living. And in 1948, something happened to her life that transformed her whole being. One day she met Albert Schweitzer, the famous humanitarian, theologian, missionary, organist, and medical doctor in the little village of Gunsbach. And there was something about the way the two of them met that just clicked. And so they spent several hours talking together, not romantically, but at a much deeper and profound level. And by the end of the day, Marion Preminger knew that she had discovered what she was looking for all along. She went to Lambarim in Africa, the little village where Schweitzer worked as a medical missionary for years and years, and she began working in the hospital there. She changed bandages. She bathed babies. She fed lepers. She scrubbed floors. She made beds and cooked meals. She did all sorts of common and ordinary things that cared for other people. And in the process of all of that, she became free. Years later, when she wrote her autobiography that was entitled, all I ever wanted was everything. She said that she could not get everything she wanted in life until, first of all, she gave everything she had in service. In other words, until she had gotten out of bondage from the life she was living and discovered the new life in Christ on the other side of the cross and living that way, through a compassionate life, she couldn't really find the true meaning of life. So living on the other side of the cross means living through the lens of Jesus. It means living as a compassionate person. 
And it also means living as a forgiving person. Let's shift gears now to South Africa. During their fight to end years of dictatorship and move to democracy, the story is told by Bez Bishop Desmond Tutu. It happened in 1995. The military forces in South Africa had gunned down 30 innocent people in the community of Bisho during a time of great unrest and instability. These people were demonstrators. And the government held two hearings following the Bisho massacre. And at one of the hearings, one of the officers in charge that day spoke to the crowd and said that, yes, they had given the orders for the soldiers to open fire on the demonstrators. And you can imagine what that moment was like. The tension in the room at that moment was so thick you could cut it with a knife. But then the officer did an extraordinary thing. He turned toward the audience of local people and he said these words, I say, we are sorry. I say, the burden of the Bisho massacre will be on our shoulders for the rest of our lives. We cannot wish it away. It happened. But please, I ask specifically the victims not to forget to forgive us, to get the soldiers back into the community, to accept them fully, to try to understand also the pressure that they were under then. This is all I can do. I'm sorry. This I can say. I'm sorry. And the audience, which had been very close to lynching them, did something quite unexpected. It broke out into thunderous applause. It was unbelievable. No one could have predicted the turn of events on that day. But Bishop Tutu said that he was so humbled by it all and deeply thankful that ordinary and ordinary people could be so generous and so gracious. So the writer of the book of Revelation is saying to the people of Asia Minor, don't be taken in by the evil ones in Rome. Keep your focus on the one who offers you real life, Jesus Christ. He has been resurrected. He has changed everything for us. And Marcus Borg adds, he's changed everything so much so that he now trumps the Bible. We now live on the other side of the cross. So figure life out by looking first at Jesus and then at the Bible. It's about keeping the faith even when it's difficult. It's about being compassionate even when it's inconvenient and hard to do so. It's about forgiveness, too. These are tough times right now in 2010 for so many of us. So it's even more important for us to stay close to that which sustains us, our faith, our faith. 
One of my favorite musicians in all of the world is the great Satchmo, better known as Louis Armstrong. Well, one of his most beloved tunes is not one that he played the trumpet for. It was a song that he sang, What a Wonderful World. And in that song, Armstrong poured all of his love for living into those words, a way of taking his love for life out to the people as he always had in his life through his music, through that horn of his. But you might find it interesting to know that the song was not originally offered to Louis Armstrong. The song was originally offered to Tony Bennett. It really, and he turned it down. He really did. Turned it down. Uh, but you also might find it interesting to know that the great Satchmo stirred up a whole lot of controversy after that song came out in 1968. The height of the, of the Vietnam War, social unrest at home, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, and on and on. And people were asking him, what's so wonderful about our world, Satchmo? It looks like a pretty crummy world to me. Well, I want you to hear the great Satchmo in his own words. I want you to pull out this insert that's in your bulletin and flip it over. You'll see it starts off at the top. Some of you young folks... All right, and I want you to listen to Satchmo's words. Go ahead. Some of you young folks been saying to me, Hey, Fox, what do you mean, what a wonderful world? How about all them walls all over the place? You call them wonderful? And how about hunger and pollution? They ain't so wonderful either. How about listening to old Pops for a minute? Seems to me it ain't the world that's so bad, but what we are doing to it and all I'm saying is see what a wonderful world it would be if only we'd give it a chance. Love, baby, love. That's the secret. Yeah. If lots more of us love each other, we'd solve lots more problems. And then this world would be a desert. Who talks like that anymore, huh? I mean, only the great Louis Armstrong. So why don't we sing along? Let's start off with this first verse. Joel's going to help us. I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Satchmo told us, this world isn't so bad, there's hope out there. We just have to work harder at it now. Easter is our way of saying to the world, hey, we know it's not easy in a world with bombs and wars and all kinds of problems, but our world has been made better because Christ is alive in the world today, and we are his hands and feet. Let's keep singing. I see skies of blue Clouds of white, the bright blessed day, 
the dark sacred night and I think to myself what a wonderful world oh my if you could hear being right here with the choir behind oh my this is wonderful if we can live as the writer of Revelation asked his listeners to live keep the faith hang in there don't give in to the evil around you. Remember that Jesus has already won the ultimate battle. So have hope. It really is a wonderful world. Let's sing. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people coming by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. So living on the other side of the cross means living through the lens of Jesus. It means living with joy. It means living without judgment and fear. It means that every day is new again. Easter is a joyful reminder that we are changed people because of Christ. And it's time to start living that way. Or as the great Satchmo says, I hear babies And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Okay, big finish now. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Now this is how Louis Armstrong says amen. Oh, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful.